0: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care, here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care
1: and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Hey, thanks for joining us this afternoon. I'm Jason Kong here with. Mary Lucas of transitions life care Mary how are you today
2: I'm doing well all this spring weather has me in the gardening mood still I like I said I weeded my garden H- hold me to it I did it it's done <laughs> it's the beginning of spring I love it
1: you know you're you're an inspiration to us all <laughs> you're uh, coming through on your garden you know you're're you're doing your fitness routine every oh, yeah, morning yeah, that's been uh, a I'm, lovely I'm impressed time. <laughs> I, I feel like um, I, I need to live by your example
2: I'm, Can't walk the stairs to get to the radio this morning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. Well, we've got a wonderful show lined up. We're going to touch on a number of topics. And first up, we're going to be talking about area agencies on aging. And we are very pleased to welcome to the show, Austin Caton. He's the aging specialist with Central Lina Area Agency on Aging. Hey, Austin, thank you so much for coming on the show.
3: Thank you for having me. Um, It's an honor.
2: You know, I think these are very important services. You kind of hear about them here and there, but I'm so excited to dive in a little bit deeper with you. Maybe we can start out, what is an Area Agency on Aging? Is it a public organization? Is it a nonprofit? Um, And what kind of services are provided under the Area Agency on Aging?
3: Sure, great question. So the um, Area Agency on Aging um, was... Uh, centrally established um, with the Older Americans Act, 1965. So they've been around a while. Some of the programs are newer, um, but they are a state agency. Um, There are, I believe, 16. There used to be 17, um, but they cover several. Each one will cover several counties in the state of North Carolina. Um, And for us, we cover nine counties in the Mecklenburg area. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of some of the services we do is, um, they're, they're really broken down into five key areas. So one of them is preventing and detecting elder abuse. Uh, we have an ombudsman program that works with nursing homes um, and helps to, you know, helps with complaints and to make sure that they're being provided the, the best level of care. Mm-hmm. Um, we also work with uh, family caregivers,
0: mm. which
3: is essentially my program that I work with um, at Central um where we do information referral. Um, We do something called options counseling where we've been trained to help uh, individuals to apply for, um, you know, state programs such as, um, you know, social services programs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's the energy assistance programs and the water assistance programs, rental assistance, this kind of thing. So we can help them with that application. We also do uh, respite services services. through vouchers um, Mm -hmm. that we've contracted with different agencies in the area to kind of give a caregiver a much needed break um, because that that need seems to be ever increasing. Uh, We also support nutritional needs um, and healthcare needs through evidence-based programming. Um, Another uh, key factor is we provide service and training um, for seniors that want to seek employment through the workforce program. Mm -hmm. And then we help with other home and community based programs such as transportation uh, that para um, Americans Disability Act transportation um, and help it with uh, home delivered meals as well.
2: Wow, you guys are busy. I can imagine during COVID, um, you found yourself doing a little bit of shifting on how services were provided, or uh, I'm sure that can the the uh, need for your services also increased. Can, how did things change for you guys during COVID, and how are you adapting to some of these changes?
3: Yeah, so really, um, there was very base-level funding for um, all of these services, but really, uh, COVID really sh- um, sh- shined a light on those, these services that are truly needed for uh, seniors and individuals with disabilities um, throughout the, throughout the state. Um, You know, I don't know, interesting enough, I don't know if you kind of follow uh, NC state legislature Mm -hmm. um, happenings, but there was a 10% increase in home and community based services. um, And that really was uh, impacted due to COVID. Um, They really saw that there needed to be increased funding for these, um, home and community-based services such as nutrition and transportation um, programming and family caregiver programming and elder abuse, all the, the programs that I previously mentioned, it really, we really um, saw a giant increase in people calling in, needing help, needing more services. Um, and this, you know, if anybody has ever called a social services department, it's, it's like navigating, um, you know, a river, just trying to swim uphill to to, to get to a destination, it's, it's, and kind of our job is to, is to help to give you specific information and eligibility and all of that. So it's it's definitely been a, um, a battle just trying to make sure that uh, individuals get the services that they need and that they're aware of the services that they need.
2: Wow, you guys have got to be busy. At this system, you're exactly right, and someone personally going through it, it is very difficult. Um, you mentioned the word respite, and, I, and I'm and i familiar with it um, because I work in hospice, but I, I think that it's an um, something that not many people know about outside of that. Can you talk to us a little bit about your respite services? What is respite, and how do people go about uh, requesting these services? I think it's critical for caregivers to be able to take some time away and do a little bit of self-care and i think respite's a huge piece of that can you talk to us a little bit more
3: sure um so respite really is just trying to give the caregiver a break they caregivers are really the unsung heroes um they day in and day out are caring for their loved one um with increasing care needs um we we get a lot of individuals that call in um, that they're a caregiver for somebody with dementia or somebody with a physical disability um, and our job is really to walk them through the programs that we provide, such as the respite or get them connected to transportation services. Um, we also have a great um, relationship with um, a local program through the social services. And this is a statewide program. It's called Project Care. Mm-hmm. And Project Care uh, works with individuals with dementia. They do um, help with a lot of referral and they have vouchers themselves that help. Um, to kind of give that caregiver a break, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people will either use a home care agency, which has been a large struggle um, right now because of the staffing shortages. Um, We're really seeing an increase in family members um, outside the household coming in and providing a respite, which is a, which is part of the programming that we can help provide. Mm-hmm.
2: So who qualifies to use all of your services at the Area Agency on Aging, caregiver services, et cetera, um, and are they f- free services?
3: Yes. So the um, the services are for ind- individuals that are age 60 and over. Um, the um, care recipient um, needs to need a, a level of care. So that just means that they uh, need assistance with daily living activities, such as you know, things like personal care, uh, maybe help picking up medications, maybe running errands, those kind of thing. We just have to kind of um, go through an assessment with them over the phone mm-hmm. um, and to assess the need. And then once the need is, um, is shown, um, we can sign them up for the voucher. For Central Line, our vouchers are, we have a cap of about 2,500 for our uh, family caregiver voucher. And they can use that, um, as I said before, through a home care agency and which we will pay directly to the home care agency or through adult day services programs um, or um, somebody that lives outside the household that has to be over the age of 18.
2: Wow. And, you know, this is such a great resource, and I know that there are so many people that could benefit from this that, that maybe don't know about it. So thank you so much for sharing that. How do people find out more about their agency on aging in the area that they live in? And how do you go about finding more about Central and what you all do as well?
3: Yes. Yeah, so the... Um Area agencies, as I said, they're kind of, they're broken up over um, through, throughout the state. You can call, there's an elder care locator uh, phone number that um, can connect you with the area agency that, that serves your county. Um, and that number is 1-800-677-1116. Um, you can also call your local uh, NC211 or your local senior center. Um, and they can connect you to the area agency that serves that county. Um, For those that are maybe tech savvy and able to access the internet, um, you can go on to the Department of Health and Human Services under um, Aging and Adult Services. And there's a really beautiful uh, map that they've um, separated the counties out to tell you which one covers your county. So there's a lot of different ways that they can access to find that information. Wonderful.
1: That phone number again, 1-800-677-1116. 1-800-677-1116. Uh, we've been speaking with Austin Caton. He's the aging specialist with Centralina Area Agency on Aging. Austin, thank you so much for coming on the show today and for explaining a topic that can be a little bit complicated and making it easy for us to understand because this is this is a wonderful service that is available
3: thank you so much for having me.
1: We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic.
0: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong.
1: Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF, news, talk, and traffic i'm jason kong here with mary lucas and we are going to turn our focus now to retirement living mary you and i we dream about this all the time I Retirement know, right? living <laughs> can't wait for it and senior living communities uh but uh, in all seriousness we are very pleased to welcome on to the program colleen jones colleen is a senior living specialist with all about seniors nc colleen thank you so much for coming on the show today
4: Oh, thanks, Jason. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you all this morning.
2: This is perfect time for Jason and I to plan our retirement (laughs) when we're just around the corner here. Uh, So, Colleen, maybe you could kick us off. Why are more active adults making these kinds of moves? I know with COVID and there's also a lot of supply and demand issues in the senior living communities. Um, So why are, are people choosing these senior living communities?
4: Well, you know, more active adults are making the move to senior living communities really more as a a lifestyle change. Um, The environment of independent living communities provides an opportunity for individuals to be involved in uh, recreational and social activities, and most are quite diverse that there's something of interest uh, to everyone in the community. Um, This truly allows the older adult to foster new friendships, increase socialization. Pursue new interests or hobbies and, and with these diverse programs, residents can find fulfillment to thrive during their senior years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I think that's a, a huge reason why um, individuals are doing that. Even, even during COVID, um, you know, there's been a, a great increase in, uh, in depression in, in folks that have been isolated from their families and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, these communities are, are truly a great option. Um, They provide maintenance-free living, uh, transportation to medical appointments. Uh, They even have great events and and, uh, activities out in the community. So, I mean, imagine no more yard work or or home repairs. In fact, there's usually maintenance staff in every building. Um, They provide regular maintenance, such as changing, you know, uh, air filters, batteries, and smoke detectors. you know, changing a light bulb, even um, so, should a plumbing or electrical issue occur, and uh, there's maintenance staff right there to assist with that imminent need. Um, so that's that's another great bonus. Um, you know, sometimes you'll see uh, uh, individuals that that lose their spouse, and and these things can be daunting or overwhelming to maintain. You know, a, a home. Um, so that's a, another another great reason to, to choose these communities, Mary. That's
2: some. Uh, that's awesome. And and something I think isolations and the depression and hearing what we were dealing with through COVID, I think these are really important things to think about. You know, some of our listeners have heard about assisted living or skilled facilities. Can you talk to us about really what is a a senior living community compared to those things? Is there nursing care that's involved in these communities? Or is it more like private duty nursing and can bring in those services? Um, What are some of the differences um, between these communities and assisted living and um, skilled facilities?
4: Sure, yeah. So there, there is a, that is one big uh, difference in assisted living and independent living in that typically uh, active adult or independent living communities will not have 24-hour nursing staff, um, but most of these communities have partnerships with home care agencies that provide on-site rehab services such as physical therapy, Occupational therapy, uh, nursing care, even psychiatric services, which is you know a, a huge thing to have an opportunity to, you know, have right there in your community. Um, you know, while the senior moving into uh, an independent community may not currently need any of these services, there's there's a great peace of mind knowing that if needed, they could, too, take advantage of the services right there in their own home. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, typically those, those types of things are, are as needed, um, not provided, uh, such as nursing duty or medication management, um, that sort of thing, as, as you'd find in assisted living. So folks living in independent living truly are not in need of uh, assistance with activities of daily living, like bathing, dressing, that sort of thing. So they truly are, you know, independent, active adults. Uh, looking just for that maintenance free living. Um, you know, the, the communities are mostly apartment style living. Mm-hmm. So they'll have, you know, full kitchens or kitchenettes, they'll have a washer and dryer. And uh, typically, the communities will have like one or two bedroom options um, that have nice patios or porches. So it's you know they're they're truly downsizing which you know we laugh in this community now we we hate to call it downsizing let's call it right sizing because that's truly you know that's truly what people are doing is they're they're uh, they're right sizing moving from maybe a home they've had with their children for for many years so downsizing from a home that's four or five thousand square feet to maybe twelve hundred square feet
2: so mm-hmm.
4: um, it's a big change it's a big change but it's it's also a, a very healthy one. Um, you know, another great option is uh, the on-site dining. Um, usually there's, there's these fabulous chefs that work in these communities preparing, you know, delicious meals. And they serve them in their well-appointed dining room. You know, yet again, another opportunity for that increased socialization that, um, you know, really everybody needs, but especially our older, older adults. Um, so really, you know, these are most of the, the reasons active adults are making that move to, uh, to a senior living community, Mary.
2: That's very helpful. You've touched on a few of the different amenities you'll find in some of these communities. Can you dive in a little bit deeper about some of the other amenities you'll find in a senior living retirement community?
4: Sure, absolutely. Um, You know, retirement homes today are quite upscale um, and provide abundant amenities. Um, Even our our independent living communities that have been around for for many years are, are keeping up to date with new trends. They're Remodeling, that sort of thing. So, you know, you will find a lot of communities have either an indoor-outdoor pool for resident leisure swimming. Um, Some even offer scheduled aquatic therapy, which is a really nice thing. Um, Along with the pools, a lot of communities have jacuzzis, they'll have saunas, massage rooms. Um, many of them have beauty and, uh, barbershops right there. So they don't even have to leave to go get their haircut, which is, which is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
4: you know, you'll find lavish outdoor areas as well with fire pits, putting greens, shuffleboard. And I've even seen some that are putting in, um, areas for, for folks to play pickleball, which is a very popular thing for seniors. Yeah. We love pickleball. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah in most communities, they'll have movie theaters. Um, so these are housed right inside where, you know, they'll provide daily movie options. So it's a great thing for residents to grab a friend, catch a show, and not even have to leave their home. Um let me think, what else? So pet friendly. Um, you know, many of our communities are pet friendly. They do have some restrictions and sometimes limit it to, to maybe only two pets in an apartment. But You know, we all love our our furry friends, and um, it's nice that that our communities uh, recognize that and allow them to come in. Um, So truly the options and amenities are are quite unique in in every senior living community, but you'll find some, some fabulous options out there.
2: You stole the question. I, 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 you know, dogs are very important to me. I just want to make sure that I can bring the dogs Since now they're offering pickleball, you know, I'm all in. Um, so right. as long as I can bring my dog, this is this is wonderful. One other thing, um, can you bring your car too? Um, you know, I know some of these, some of the independent living, assisted living, that's a thing. Um, so I assume you can still bring your car and you can get out and go do your grocery shopping and all the things like usual.
4: Absolutely. So. Um, I have not yet seen a community that you can't bring your car and in fact, most of them will have options um, of garages or carports. Sometimes those are extra rental fees, you know, aside from the apartment rental. Um, but transportation is another big thing that all independent living communities provide. So. At at a given point, a resident may move in, you know, having their own car. But over time, it, it may come that they have to give up their license and are no longer able to drive. So right there, um, you know, communities provide transportation to medical appointments. They'll sometimes take folks to church, um, and they'll even have planned activities out in the community. So if a resident is no longer driving, they can. Go on the scheduled transportation and maybe go pick up a cultural event or go out to lunch with their friends and not have to worry about uh, not being able to drive their vehicle.
1: Wonderful. And Colleen, if folks want to get a hold of you or find out more about All About Seniors NC, what's the best way to do that?
4: Yeah, so uh, my email is Colleen at All About Seniors and our main number is 919 830 So I'd be happy to help anybody looking for um, some guidance, uh, needing quality care and senior living solutions for their aging loved ones. We'd love to help out.
1: Okay, I'm d- I'm just going through the checklist here. So we had the indoor outdoor swimming pool, the movie theater, pets. Uh, I think you checked off everything for Mary, other than uh, a gardening space for her. Yes. Colleen. so I think she's going to be hey, calling well, you most soon. most of
4: them have that too. Yep. Well, nope, we can we can yeah we done. can find you a place that has gardening too, Mary. All right, done.
1: we just got to work on that whole aging side of things. But other than that, Colleen, I, I think Mary's going to be giving you. A call soon. She is Colleen Jones, Senior Living Specialist with All About Seniors NC. Colleen, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
4: Jason, Mary, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time and have a wonderful day.
1: You as well. We got to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk
0: Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email Matters at transitionslifecare.org. If
1: you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we are now shifting our focus to a new topic. And we're going to be discussing the subject matter of estate documents and estate planning. This is always a key topic for us to discuss, and we are very pleased to welcome Rick Messimer. He is a community educator on Elder Law Matters. Hey, Rick, thank you so much for joining us today.
5: Oh, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me.
2: Rick, this is a really timely topic. I've actually been talking to my dad and, and you know, thinking about this myself. It, I don't know if it's ever too early to start a planning um, your estate and thinking about these kinds of things, especially when COVID was coming around and, you know, it was definitely a topic that was talked about a lot then. Uh, I want to start with a, a softball for you. Uh, what is a will and what does it do and what does it not do?
5: Excellent. Good. Um, Mary, I like to make it kind of simple, and I divide what most people call the state documents into two categories. One of the personal documents, which we'll talk about later, uh, and then the other one is what I call the transfer documents. And that can either be a will uh, or a trust. And essentially what these do is it, it lays out legally how you want to transfer what you have. To certain people, or uh, what I always like to uh, advise people is think about things outside of your immediate family. Do you have a passion, for instance? Uh, have you been volunteering with transitions, and would you mm-hmm. like them to be in your estate plan, or Habitat Humanity? So, when somebody sits down, they have to think about not only the simple or the mechanical parts. Uh, who's going to be my executor, but who do I want to give things to how do I want to give them uh, to them um, is it uh, are there minors that I'd like to include and if so do I want them to get a lump sum right away are there better ways to do it
2: that's very helpful. Um, what is uh, you know who should be execute or um, you know handling your will and handling the trust and that side of things is it power of attorney or what you should you consider when selecting someone um, to carry out your will?
5: Good. You've kind of touched on uh, two different sides of the estate planning process when you talk about. Um, somebody who's doing things while you're alive, uh, those tend to be the people that you would name within your powers of attorney. Uh, The person who's the executor or executrix is the person that you are are appointing to handle your estate after you pass away. Mm. I always say the same thing. The legal document only can go so far. The reality is that you must appoint somebody for all of these documents that you trust so that they're going to actually um, fulfill the wishes that you have so i've written down that i want to give something to a charity you got to make sure that that in fact happens so uh, the person who's the an, an executor a person who's a uh an agent under a power of attorney for finances or health those all can be different people Uh, In my personal case, they are different people in all all of the cases. Mm
2: -hmm. So what happens, you've kind of touched on this a little bit, what happens if you die without a will or without someone to execute your will?
5: Uh, It's frightening, Mary. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that I had done uh, when I was really thinking about the importance of a will is I went on to the North Carolina statutes and I actually asked the question, what happens if you die without a will uh, in the state of North Carolina? And if I'm just going to, hopefully not bore people, but I'm actually going to read what parts of these things say. Out of the statutes, it says, for married persons, divisions of the assets includes the spouse and the children. For unmarried persons, division of the assets include any children first, then parents, then siblings. Finally, if there's no family at all the estate passes to the state of North Carolina then the other question I always am so concerned about is what if you die without a will and there's minor children Mm. and so the the statute addresses that as well Says when parents don't have a will or an advanced directive regarding the care of their child the court will decide on a guardian based on the best interest of the child and so to me, uh, there's two parts of the state planning. One is it's critical when you're young and have minor children. And in my view, estate planning gets critical as you age and the possibility of uh, hospitalization, the, the potential for dementia increases. Mm-hmm. These documents become more and more important every day.
2: That's, yeah, that's a great point and that something that people should think about in doing these documents sooner rather than later. I want to turn the page a little bit and talk about personal documents. What is a living will and or advanced directives? I think we heard a lot about these during COVID. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what is an advanced directive and why you should have them?
5: Absolutely. I think the uh, if I mentioned the case, I'm thinking that many people, especially the older listeners, are going to remember the Terry Schiavo case. Mm -hmm. Basically, within the document of an advanced directive, you're uh, giving instructions not only to the medical community, but to your family what your wishes are in certain circumstances. As an example, you might say in your advanced directive, if I have advanced dementia and I have this, this, and this, and in the view of the doctor, there's no chance that I can ever recover to any meaningful level that I don't want life-sustaining uh, measures taken. Now those could be hydration, those could be uh, food through a feeding tube, mm-hmm. or you might say in your advanced directive, listen, all I want is to be kept comfortable uh, and just let me go, you know, by natural causes. So many of the documents, whether it be um, some of your medical powers of attorney or your advanced directives, in my view, when I did mine, it was more for the people around me than me myself. I didn't want my loved ones to have to sit there in a critical time when I was on life support and have to make that decision. So what i personally do is every time i make a change in my estate documents i just say family come on in here's what we're doing here's what my wishes are and i want them to argue with me while i'm still alive (laughs) not when i'm laying in the hospital bed so uh, to me it's a a process that involves me explaining my wishes to you and then giving you an opportunity to uh, say, no, dad, that's not what I want, Mm -hmm. or yes, I agree with you, or boy, that's tough for me to to swallow, but yes, I agree with you, that's what we'll do if that uh, situation ever arises. That's
2: a great point. One last question for you. When should you get a lawyer involved? I know some of these are legal documents. Some only need to be notarized. At what point should you get a lawyer involved in any of these processes?
5: I answer that kind of simply, I, uh, I'm not, I've actually gone online and actually done some of the online documents. And for the simplest of cases, they may or may not be adequate. What I found is that if you have uh, anything that's a minor bit complicated, uh, second marriage, you've got property, I'm dealing with two different people now who are realtors who have their business set up in an LLC. That level of complexity uh, seems to, to, to lend itself to going to an attorney to ask all of the questions. I am so fearful that if a document isn't done correctly, that you go and we're going to talk maybe about some of these things later. You go and you're looking at, VA benefits or Medicaid mm-hmm. or some other government program, and your documents aren't set up correctly, you can kind of like shoot yourself in the foot. Uh, and, and so by saving some money on an attorney today, you could lose literally thousands of dollars a month when you need that benefit. So I'm an advocate, uh, in 2003, I put together my own, uh, trust. I, I'm a believer in doing these documents. I believe in the in the process. I believe in the communications of my family. So, whenever I'm talking to families, I always apologize. I say, "Don't ask me personally," because I, I believe in it and and I've done it myself. So, I'm a consumer of professionally done documents and have been for you know twenty some odd years now. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a step that we all need to consider when we are doing our planning, and we are speaking with Rick Messimer. He is a community educator on Elder Law Matters, and we're going to continue our conversation with him right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF News,
0: Talk, Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging
1: Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, our guest on the line, we are speaking with Rick Messimer. He is a community educator on Elder Law Matters, and we're going to be focusing now on government benefits and where to use them. This is a world that uh, c- can get very, very difficult to navigate, Mary, so I'm glad that we have Rick here to help us out <laughs> yeah. because uh, for those who've been through it, uh, this, is, this is no walk in the park.
2: Yes, and I'm very excited about this segment, Rick. It's something that I personally, my family has personally gone through with setting up my grandfather on veteran, some of the veteran programs we have, but I'll save that to later in this segment. Um, <laughs> maybe we could start with Medicaid, which is a question that a lot of people and maybe a lot of our listeners have. What does Medicaid help pay for with assisted living?
5: Good. And I'm glad you asked the question that way, Mary, because I get that so often, uh, there's this misunderstanding that if you're in an assisted living community and how you define uh, assisted living basically is a community that helps you with your activities of daily living and then most of the time there are some standalones but most of the time you'll have a memory care unit within an assisted living and so there's this assumption that I get into the assisted living community. And when I send down my assets to a point where I can now apply for quote unquote Medicaid, I'll get it. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. Medicaid only pays for skilled care, not assisted living. Mm. In the state of North Carolina, we have a program called special assistance, which I like to define almost like it's a Medicaid waiver program. And What makes it different is that the family can't have, uh, the the person who's applying can't have an income greater than $1,280.50 if they're in assisted living and $1,580.50 if they're in uh, memory care. Mm -hmm. So if you come to me and you say, I'm going into uh, memory care, I want to apply for what they call Medicaid, which is special assistance and their income, gross, is $2,000, they won't qualify. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. I spent a lot of time trying to explain the different uh, programs for the different levels of care. So the key for the listeners is assisted living does not take Medicaid. It takes another program called special assistance. And a little bit later, we'll probably – go over a little bit about medicaid um, but a whole different program Mm -hmm. so the key for all of the medicaid type programs your assets can't be more than two thousand dollars if you're married there are some spousal allowances that let the uh, spouse at home still keep a certain amount of assets Uh, you can usually keep your home and keep a vehicle and still be able to qualify the key and the beauty of these programs is Once you qualify, you're on them for life. So you Mm. basically live out your life on special assistance or on Medicaid. Um, And so it's a great program.
2: That, that's a lot to take in, too, though. I can imagine why somebody would be reaching out for help on some of these things. You know, do there's a lot of assisted livings in our area and across the nation. It's definitely a, a growing segment in, in senior living. Do all assisted livings take special assistance programs?
5: Uh, they do
2: not. Uh,
5: basically, there are a number of sites that you can go on, and even if you were to just Google... Uh, assisted living slash special assistance, uh, certain groups will publish these lists and and let you know which ones do or don't. Uh, Many uh, properties will only do private pay or let's say long-term care insurance, which in essence is private pay. Uh, And so uh, within the triangle, the number of communities that are taking special assistance is in fact shrinking. Mm-hmm. And very often what I do is I encourage the families to extend out their geographic reach because there may be somebody who's very willing to take special assistance in Burlington or Rocky Mount or on the other side of Zebulon where they wouldn't if they're inside the Beltline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, it is getting harder to find communities that will take special assistance uh, if there are some and they're, you know, really nice looking properties, probably a waiting list right now. Mm-hmm. So the key is, um, how, do, do I qualify to get into, into an uh, uh, assisted living community? Then the question is, how do I pay for it? We can just touch now. The, the, the prices are all over the place. They could be as low as maybe uh, $3,000 or $4,000. They could be as high as six it is not uncommon where I hear numbers in the memory care to be eight, $9, ten thousand $10,000 per month. So it's, it's a frightening amount. And then the question is how do I now pay for it? So this is where these conversations on the government benefits come in on literally for me, a daily basis. Mm-hmm. The, the sticker shock uh, that I hear from families, they just don't have enough assets to uh, supplement the income paying for care. Mm-hmm. big number that has to be uh, tackled every month.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, we, you touched on SNF care um, briefly and skilled nursing facilities, and skilled nursing is the big difference with assisted living and, and going that step up uh, and getting that extra care. And I know that this is a loaded question, but what does covering skilled facility care look like in coordination with government benefits?
5: Good. When you're looking at skilled care, then the program is Medicaid. just want to touch on something because I think it's really important. We can look at Medicaid, but please, for the people listening, do not get confused between Medicare and Medicaid. I hear so many times, well, my neighbor Mary was uh, at XYZ and she was in, Uh, taking rehab at a skilled nursing facility, and Medicare paid all of her bills. Mm -hmm. So there's this assumption that if you're inside of a skilled nursing facility, that Medicare will pay for it, which is not true. Mm -hmm. Medicare is paying for the rehab. It will not pay for long-term skilled nursing. So if you're diagnosed that you need skilled nursing for basically the rest of your life, You will be going for Medicaid. Mm. So just two M words, but don't get the two mixed up. Uh, It'll be devastating. So one goes through an application process. You need a doctor to say you need skilled care. You need the skilled care facility to agree. They'll just go out do an assessment uh, on the potential uh, client of theirs. Uh, Then the question is, can they apply for Medicaid? There are some restrictions. Uh, They need to have the spend down to $2,000 in what they call countable assets. You're still permitted to have a primary residence. You are still permitted to have a vehicle. Uh, Some of those get a little bit more complicated, but that's the the essence of it. Uh, What people are going to be concerned with is can Medicaid come after the passing of the individual and take their house or Uh, do some things? And the answer technically is yes. That's called Medicaid recovery. And Medicaid will uh, send a bill to the estate of the deceased person and say, we've been paying Medicaid for X amount of years. We want some of our money back. And how that kind of like street rumor came about that Medicaid takes your house. Well, if you only got $2,000 in cash, your only asset might be your home. So the executor needs to sell the home to pay the bill. Mm-hmm. And that's where that legend kind of came about. Medicaid doesn't want your house. They want their money.
2: Gotcha.
5: So when somebody comes to, to, to a, an estate planning, a preferably elder law attorney, then what's going to happen is we're going to look at ways that we might be able to protect assets mm-hmm. as well as get on the benefit program. So there are some very simple things. As an example, you can have a uh, irrevocable burial uh, policy. Uh, You can make investments into that vehicle. So if you've got a 15-year-old car, and let's say you don't have to go out and buy a new one, which is like when it's only five years old, that would be a legitimate legal spend down for that. I always encourage people, look at your patient, look at your family member. Do they need dental work, eye care, hearing aids, all things that for the most part aren't covered by Medicare? How can we get those to better the patient's life and meet the spend down requirement at the same time. So there are things that are legal spend downs, you just have to know what they are. The key is never gift money. Don't give don't give that car that you've got to your granddaughter that's considered a gift and that's gonna create problems in that Medicaid application. So unfortunately, the process is is complicated and I encourage everyone who's thinking about it or or is concerned about it in their future that they would see somebody. You know, Probably the sooner the better. The more, the earlier we can talk to someone, more apt we're gonna be able to find an avenue that they can go down to protect assets and get the benefit, when they're in the nursing home ready to apply, it limits the number of options that might be available. So earlier the better.
1: Yeah, like many of the topics that we discuss on this program, you know, after the fact or in the middle of a crisis, it's often too late and makes things a whole lot more challenging. So getting ahead of it, planning, understanding what might be available to you is always our recommendation. Rick, if folks want to learn more about you or get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that?
5: Uh, Two ways. I would be more than happy to accept phone calls, 919-656-2959 or my email address is rick at carolinaestatecouncil.com, either one, uh, and everything that I would do, uh, absolutely no charge for uh, chatting with somebody, so that would be a, a totally free service, and I would love to uh, be able to chat with some of your uh, listeners.
1: Wonderful. He is Rick Messimer. He is a community educator on Elder Law Matters, if you want to reach him by phone, that number again is 919-656-2959 or email rick at Council.com. That'll do it for us today. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong. Thanking you so much. For listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Have a wonderful day.
0: You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.